Grace be unto you, and great peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is taken from the Gospel lesson. Why, what else could we possibly do? This story of John the Baptist and his birth. But I'm going to read these words taken from the first chapter, the 15th through the 17th verse. It reads in this way. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. It's interesting that he jumped in his mother's womb, didn't he? He leapt in his mother's womb for joy. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Apparently, the Holy Spirit considers birth to be conception. Many of the people of Israel will he turn, bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Here ends our text. A guy named Woody, who's on our board of trustees, was able to fix a sliding door that we had downstairs. Others tried, including myself. We had four of us men working at it, and we absolutely ended up having to give up. But Woody and Deb Tawartha somehow did it together. We don't quite know how, but we would say that Woody's way was the right way. There are two ways of fixing the people of Israel, preparing them for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. If it was done in the wrong way, then they could not receive him, recognize him, believe in him, and ultimately even receive eternal life. The task of John the Baptist would be to do it the right way. This child who was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth was going to accomplish two things, our text tells us, according to the inspired prophetic hymn of Zechariah. He would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he would turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. What exactly is this wisdom of the righteous? As Lutherans, we should know how we become righteous. God, we hear, justifies us, declaring us to be something that we are not, which we believe because God's word creates whatever it says. That is what faith does. Faith grabs onto what God's word says and thereby receives what God's word says. Like criminals who have been condemned by the law, standing in front of a judge, somebody else steps forward, takes the guilt upon himself, and as the judge slams down that gavel, he says, you are now right with the law. You are now right with God. That is how it is that we become righteous. So the righteousness that we receive comes by trusting in God's verdict of acquittal. But the righteous 
now also turn around and we justify God. In Luke 7.29, we read, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, well, the it's translated as, acknowledge that God's way was right. God's way was right. But the text literally says, they justified God because they had been baptized by John. The Pharisees and the experts of the law had rejected, it says, God's purposes for their, themselves because they had not been baptized by John. C.S. Lewis, the great writer in England, once said that the ancient man stood in the dock and God was the judge. Now, the dock was the place where a defendant stood. So when you were being accused, you were in the dock. He said the ancient man would put man himself into the dock and God was the judge. He said modern man puts God in the dock and the modern man judges God. Yet I think this has always been the case. Do we ever find that this might be true for us? Do we like to take the place of God and become judges and put God himself in the dock where he has to justify himself to us? Modern-day political correctness is just exactly that, perhaps in a more secular way, that somehow we set up this standard of morality and we act as though God somehow has to justify himself to us for why it is that he would restrict us from such, well, such freedoms. Sometimes happens whenever there's a war and people will say, why is there a God in heaven if he allows there to be such a thing as war as though God had to justify himself to us? I think it happens when we also mess up in our own lives. And we're the kind of people that like to be able to shove that blame off on somebody else, don't we? Yeah. You come home, you kick the dog, the dog bites the cat. What do you do? Who are you going to blame for all those problems and those woes that you have in your life? Well, in the end, we always blame God, don't we? Because he's the one who's supposed to be in charge. Maybe even the worst is when misfortune strikes in our life. Bad things happen. We don't feel as though they're justified, as though God would allow such a thing to happen to us. My goodness sakes, there are worse people than we are in this world. Why is it that we end up having to bear this burden or this cross in our life? We ask God, God, you justify yourself to us. Worst of all, and perhaps sometimes most subtly, is when we reverse these places and we tell God how we intend to justify ourselves. It's kind of like we start making up the rules for the teacher when we're students. For the Pharisees, they made up these things called the traditions of men. Jesus called them that. That is to say that they made up all kinds of their own rules and then when they were able to live by them, simple little things, when they lived by them, 
they stood before God and would say, well, how in the world could you ever accuse us of sin? Because look at all these things which we have done. For a modern man today, they don't even make up too many rules at all. The modern man just simply says that somehow God's supposed to be this overlooker. That if there's a God in heaven, he's just going to have to overlook everybody's sins and failings and shortcomings. God, we're making up the rules. There's no big deal here. You just go ahead and just let us go because that's what it is that a God of love does. We sometimes hear the words of human comparisons. Hey, God, you know, I'm not as bad as those people over there. There are really, really bad people in this world, and I'm not one of them, so therefore, why in the world would you ever condemn me? And of course, then there's always the so-called sincerity thing, where we stand before God on that last day, and what do we say? Look at Lord, I sincerely didn't understand. I sincerely was kind. I sincerely had good intentions, really good intentions. And yet, Somehow God has to justify himself to us because if he becomes too severe in his judgments, then he certainly must not be God. Jesus said, to what can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in a marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. Supposedly, we are expecting God to do the dance. We're expecting God to do the crying whenever we play our flute or sing our song. The way of the Pharisees, therefore, was radically different from the way of John. The Pharisees rejected baptism, just as simple as it might be because they did not think they needed forgiveness. They believed that their piety and their holiness had made them right with God, and they therefore decided that they would define their own reality. And thus, Jesus says, they actually became hypocrites. That is, they blinded themselves to their own contradictions. This is always the case when we are dealing with hypocrisy. There are contradictions in the way that we believe. Jesus said, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then he said, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. That is to say, where you see these contradictions, it's an indication of how wrong people are. When you have the truth, you can see it most clearly, oftentimes in actions. John's way was the better way, and it was the right way. John when he came, had to call sin what it was. He didn't care whether it was the high and mighty or the lowly, just like with Herod, who had stolen his own brother's wife. 
Herod, who needed to repent of what it is that he had done, yeah, he was not being judgmental or strict, as people would define it today, but he cared about Herod, and he knew what it was that it was going to do to him and destroy him. And so John spoke honestly, as we must all, as we must hear from God, honestly about his own sin. But what made those tax collectors and sinners capable of being honest about their sin? Well, they knew very obviously that they had a need for forgiveness. They had no covering of false piety to make them right with God. They were just publicans and sinners. They could not define reality. Not even their own friends would allow them to fool themselves into believing that they were right with God or that they could justify themselves before God or that they even had the right to make God justify himself to them. John instead offered them a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It was a baptism of pure grace. One-sided forgiveness. God's way is not for man to earn his forgiveness. It was God's way to give forgiveness to the undeserving, to give forgiveness to man before it is that man even understood what forgiveness was. Just like that story of the thief on the cross, right? The man who could do nothing. He couldn't even get down off the cross and do one good work. All he could do at that last moment was to turn and to ask the God of mercy for one small thing. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Dying next to Jesus, he recognized the one thing that opens up the gate of heaven to every single one of us. Paul says it so clearly in 1 Timothy. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am very worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for all those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. As strange as it might sound, it would be this pure grace, this undeserved forgiveness that would change the hearts of men. John's way is the only way, and it was the right way. God justifies us freely for the sake of Christ so that by faith we might turn and justify God for his way. So what did John accomplish? What did that baby grow up to do? Through baptismal forgiveness, he enabled fathers to be able to turn their hearts back to their children. What does that mean? Hardened sin hardens the heart. 
neither the greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor thieves nor the sexually immoral love children. At least they do not know what is best for them because their hearts are hardened. Grace softens the heart. It gives grace to the weakest among us because it has received grace from God. What would happen? The gospel, the good news that John would preach about the coming of Christ, would turn the disobedient, he says, to the wisdom of the righteous. A wisdom that knows that man is justified by grace through faith. A wisdom that would open minds and hearts to a coming Christ who was soon to be revealed to Israel. John's way was the right way. Amen. May this peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.